Hey listeners, on May 13th, we invite you to join us and Reed Hoffman for a new virtual strategy session presented in alliance with Capital One Business. You'll hear insights from fellow entrepreneurs about how to be at the forefront of leading change with AI. So go to mastersofscale.com AI strategy right now to register for free. Again, that's mastersofscale.com AI strategy. Looking forward to seeing you there. During the pandemic, you know, not many companies were impacted as deeply as the airlines were. And the determination it took to pick up the pieces, it felt like you put the company on your back and you got to start marching. And you didn't quite know where you're going, but you knew enough to put one foot ahead of the other. And you start building momentum and start gaining renewed followership. And sooner or later, people say, I want to go there. I'm not quite sure where you're going, but will you take me with you? We got through. We're just starting again. It's the new Delta. We're just starting to soar. We have a lot of new people at the company because we had a very large early retirement offer. So we hired over the last year, 25,000 new people. One in four employees at Delta are new within the year and bringing the new employees into the culture to create a more resilient culture, a culture that takes even greater care of each other. That's what's next. That's Ed Bastian, CEO of Delta Airlines. Following the turbulence of the pandemic, Delta's managed to navigate its way out of the clouds, generating 50% of the airline industry's total profits in 2022, enough to disperse $563 million in profit sharing to its employees, as announced last week. I'm Bob Safian, former editor of Fast Company, founder of the Flux Group, and host of Masters of Scale Rapid Response. We've chronicled Ed Bastian's leadership journey through two prior interviews since COVID hit, the last time in 2021 when the world was still very much in the grip of the virus. Now, we revisit Delta in a very different moment for the economy and the travel business. With new initiatives like free Wi-Fi on board every flight and the hiring of 25,000 new employees over the past year, Delta is poised for yet another new chapter. If you haven't heard our two previous episodes with Ed, I encourage you to go back and listen. In this episode, and across all three moments, Ed provides meaningful lessons about leading people and making hard decisions. It's an inspiring roadmap for working through uncertainty to unlock opportunity. We'll start the show in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. I woke up in the middle of the night because I had this nightmare that we were front page news, that we've done the stupidest mistake of our life by making this pivot. (laughs) That's Aparna Saran. Chief Marketing Officer for Capital One Business, and she's recalling a moment from her previous position at Capital One when she was heading up a team designing a new business card. We had just made the decision to go all in and sunset the prior version of the product, which was honestly the cash cow for our business. When we made that decision within a senior leadership meeting, as someone who had been on the journey to build this out for five plus years, it was really exciting. But by the time the weekend hit, 
I started to feel the responsibility and the pressure. We are taking this big bet on something that I've built. Perhaps you've been there. You've made a pivotal decision, and then panic sets in. How would Aparna calm her butterflies and steer her team through this pivot? We'll find out later in the show. It's all part of the Refocus Playbook, a special series where Capital One Business highlights stories of business owners and leaders using one of Reed's theories of entrepreneurship. Today's Playbook Insight, have multiple plan Bs. I'm Bob Safian, and I'm here with Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta. This is Ed's third time on Rapid Response. Ed, thanks for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. So you first came on this show in the early days of the pandemic. Planes were mostly empty of passengers. Your second appearance in 2021, we talked about the pressure on business leaders to take stands on social and political issues. It was pretty chaotic. Since then... Things haven't calmed down all that much. Uh, you know, you've had low demand to high demand, staffing and workforce challenges, weather disruptions, inflation pressures, rising fuel prices. As you look back, as you think about this journey, do you think about business differently because of this experience? Do you find yourself waiting for things to calm down or that we all have to sort of accept a new pace, a new kind of metabolism? I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. And it's without question been the most difficult three years of our history, of my professional career, my personal life. But there's so much that we've learned during this period of time as to who we need to be to be better in the future. And you know, you ask yourself some of the reasons why you went through the pandemic. One of the reasons it was, I do believe, was to get our attention on a few things, wellness, taking care of people, ensuring that you really appreciate travel and the experience of being together like never before. Things that we took for granted for way too long have now come around and there's a newfound joy in it. And it's one of the reasons you've seen this tremendous amount of demand that I think is going to stay around for a very long period of time. Mm. I went back through our earlier conversations. And you made some amazing predictions about air travel bouncing back, about investing in airport improvements. You literally told me, we're going to accelerate investing in Wi-Fi to be sure we're stronger relative to our competitors when we come out of this. And now you're rolling out free Wi-Fi. These high-impact decisions that you made at really acute moments, like have they become a model in some ways for business decisions in any environment? I never lost faith that we were going to get through this. And because I knew how important travel is to the world. When the moment came to make big decisions, retiring large numbers of planes, but buying brand new planes in very large quantities about accelerating the development of airports, about moving our technology to the cloud, about bringing Wi-Fi free to all of our customers today, but also you know, increasingly international over the next year. Those were massive decisions on our part that we could not have moved as quickly pre-pandemic because we were busy operating. And so we said, if we're gonna go through this down period, let's take advantage of the window. And as a result, we've come out of this pandemic with even greater momentum 
than we were pre-pandemic. Last month, we reported our results for the 2022 year, and Delta generated a full 50% of the entire industry's profits in 22, despite the fact that we only fly about 20% of the capacity in the industry. You've just had your annual Employee Appreciation Day announced profit sharing to the team of $500 million, not the $1.7 billion of 2019, but a sure signal of this turnaround. I know sometimes you get some heat from Wall Street for sharing this much wealth, but it's something you've defended. Why is that important? Well, our people are our most important asset. And we live in a industry that's complex, that you have to trust your employees as much, if not more, than many other industries. This past profit sharing day was so rewarding because we went through a couple of years without it. And it really puts a bow tie on the year for us where we generate value for our shareholders, we generate great value for our customers, and we can give proper thanks to our employees. It equates to about 15% of the profits of the company that we distribute, and it was over $550 million. And to your point on Wall Street, Wall Street understands that this model works at Delta. You've seen more and more companies adopting these profit-sharing models because the ultimate alignment of an employee to take care of a good customer and let the profits reward them for the good job they've done is stakeholder capitalism and you know, what's the reason why we do what we do? Well, that gives you a great reason when you can align all those, those motivations together. Your workforce has changed dramatically over the last year, grown a lot. We have a lot of new people at the company because we had a very large early retirement offer. So we hired over the last year 25,000 new people. One in four employees of Delta are new within the year. And bringing the new employees into the culture to create a more resilient culture, a culture that takes even greater care of each other, that's what's next. With all that hiring, I know you're working with 110 to improve diversity. Despite many businesses committing to new diversity initiatives, a lot of people are frustrated that things haven't improved faster. Do you feel that way? I would never say that I'm satisfied because we always can do more and, and be better. But it is a silver lining that the pandemic created with so many of our more experienced talent retiring than many of new leaders getting opportunities to step forward, who look different, who think different. I went public in 2020 with what our current diversity picture looked like from the top to bottom, and how many you know, black employees we had at the frontline levels, and how many black leaders, and there was a big gap between those two numbers. And same thing for women, same thing for other minorities. I'm not gonna be satisfied, Bob, until the face of our leadership team reflects both the face of our customer mix and the face of our frontline employees. And so that means we've got a long ways to go. But the way you continue to propel progress is being accountable, being public on your commitments, and accountable in reporting how you're doing along that journey. And every year, we give our most current stats. We've made some great progress, for example, with women. Five years ago, only 15% of our top leaders, the top 100 officers of the company, were women. Today, that number is closer to 
in five-year time. You can't do these overnight. 110 has been a critical enabler for us to help us think differently. One of the things that they've helped us with is changing the job specs, taking four-year college degree requirements off most of our, our job specs, including our pilots, by the way, and hiring people for the skills, for who they are, what they've accomplished in life, not necessarily what diploma they've received, because we know so many diverse work groups never had an opportunity to get in that classroom. And we're finding marvelous new talent that we're open to now. The other thing we're doing a lot of is working with, with local university here, Georgia State, to have apprenticeship programs, training academies, our frontline employees that want to move into higher knowledge level positions. And you see the impact you're having on not just individuals, but families. Their children will have opportunities they didn't have because of the decisions that we're taking today. And that's, that's really rewarding. In the pandemic, you had to personally be more front and center for the brand, internally and externally. You told me, as a CEO, you're thrust into being the face and voice like never before. It's almost like you've become a celebrity. What are the repercussions of that? Has that led up at all? Yeah, no, it, it hasn't because the expectations just continue to, to mount the only celebrity I want to be is a celebrity amongst our own, amongst our own employees and be able to reward them and thank them. Because if it wasn't for them, there would be no me. I think Delta has been seen as transcending a bit of the airline space to a company that navigated the pandemic period that people look to because you know the airlines were pretty much gutted. I mean, we're down to about 5% of our revenue base and a very short order in you know, not many companies were impacted as deeply as the airlines were. And the determination it took to pick up the pieces, it felt like you put the company on your back and you got to start marching. And you didn't quite know where you're going, but you knew enough to put one foot ahead of the other. And you start building momentum and start gaining renewed followership. And sooner or later, people say, I want to go there. I'm, I'm not quite sure where you're going, but will you take me with you? And that, that happened around the company because there were so many unknowns. So people needed a reason to believe and they needed someone that was going to be marching forward. And, and that's what we did. And so they got engaged in these airport projects. They got engaged in the, the conversion to Wi-Fi. They got engaged in creating you know, new health experiences for our customers to keep them even safer than ever before. We were blocking the middle seats all through the pandemic, a decision that we took that garnered a tremendous amount of goodwill from our customers. These big, high-impact decisions that you made, are there parallels now of things that you're doing that are going to have this kind of major impact two to three years from now? This kind of, like, what is the rapid response that you're focused on now? It was a real adrenaline rush. On the other hand, it was a real panic to get through the pandemic. But I can tell you that we're using a lot of the same tools to move forward. We've got largely our U.S. travel patterns back. The next thing for us to do is to implement some of those same opportunities on a global scale. You've seen a lot of growth that we've announced in different parts of the world for that reason. Working very closely with the airlines that we are partners and investors in from Virgin Atlantic to Korean Air to Air France, because ultimately the real value we get to create is on a global scale, not just a local scale. And so the next step of our continued emergence is reclaiming the international skies, not just the, uh, the U.S. skies. One of the wild cards we discussed in 2021 was business travel. 
you know, the future of work and how that would sort of impact Delta's business and, and impact culture overall. Do you have a sense about what that evolution looks like from here? When we spoke, you know, I mentioned, I thought traditional business travel may never recover beyond 70 to 80% of what it was. And I think that's turning out to be the case. In fact, today, traditional business travel for us is right in that you know, 75 to 80% mark. But what the pandemic has created is more mobility because people aren't going to the office as much. They're going on trips, they're taking long weekends, they're working from different locales. And all of that benefits our industry. People were prognosticating that the pandemic particularly would be the death of an airline like Delta, which relied heavily on business travel, on a premium experience. And the low fare airlines were the ones that were going to have a heyday at our expenses actually turned out to be just the opposite. The low fare airlines are all pretty challenged right now, whereas the premium airlines, which Delta's at the top of that heap, are doing as good, if not better, than the best demands that we've ever seen because people value their health. They value the, the care that they receive. So we have today far more of our revenues come outside of the main cabin, which is the most price-sensitive part of our business, then when you measure that against all the revenues we get on premium services and our loyalty programs and our cargo and our MRO, we have a whole host of businesses in a very diversified light. And the pandemic tested that. And our business model passed that test. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down. We're back with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email. It was Sunday morning and I said, you know what, I'm going to just like share this with my peers. It was very emotional. It was like sort of a cry for help. Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs. I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible and we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You write something like this and your heart is pounding, should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the <laughs> newspaper. So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business's Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook. Before the break, we heard Delta CEO Ed Bastian talk about remaking the business coming out of the pandemic as he looks to the future. Now he shares leadership insights, about pursuing technology that truly fits your business plan, when it's wise to speak publicly about political issues, and why he thinks sleep could be the secret weapon for improved performance. We've seen some tech meltdowns at some other airlines, you know, and we've certainly heard about challenges with the air traffic control systems being outdated. The move to Wi-Fi, as complicated as it's been, is simple compared to the whole systemic tech that is embedded all across the industry. How do you make sure the airline is on the right 
tech curve in the right places and managing the financial and organizational resistance to new things, whether that's AI related, you know, everyone's obsessed with chat GPT today. Like how do you balance those things? In our business, it's easy to chase shiny objects. We want to make certain that the investments that we are making in technology are going to be sustainable and be of real value. Technology is second only to our people. Our technology is the lifeblood. Even through a pandemic, we didn't stop our technology investment. In fact, we accelerated it as we're going to the cloud with AWS. And now the majority of our technology is really resilient and much more agile and flexible and cheaper to operate. Technology is something that you also have to make certain that you understand your business model, what you want for the future, so the technology you're building isn't technology for technology's sake. We spend well over a billion dollars a year in technology, both in capital and operating cost. It's something that you always have to kind of try to stay ahead of because you can't let the technology get ahead of you. So as a leader, you need to make sure that you're pointing the company in a direction and letting the technology push you there rather than us try to be pulled by the technology. And, and there's an enormous amount of new technology that's out there. I'm sure the AI and the, the chatbots uh, will all be a part of our future, but they don't have to be a part of our present. Over the last three years, CEOs have been called to take positions on social, political issues in a way that they weren't before. Delta has taken certain positions on uh, voting rights and other things. How do you decide now what things to weigh in on on public issues? The bias is not to weigh in ever. It's never comfortable to see your, your name bandied about by our political leaders or headlines for reasons other than running a great airline. So I think you always look to avoid that if you can. Sometimes you can't. You have to ask yourself, how does it affect your people? How does it affect your business? And is this something that you know, Delta has a relevant voice in? When you are the largest private employer in the state of Georgia, as we are, or city of Atlanta, as we are, and you've got a lot of people that are depending on this airline, and a lot of consumers want to know how companies feel about some of the political you know, divisiveness that we all experience. In today's world, inevitably, 50% are going to agree with you, 50% are not going to agree with you. You just have to accept that. And if it still passes the test that it's important to say something, well, you know, try to make your point and get out. You don't want to get stuck in it. Do you have any advice for the other business leaders about the lessons to take from where we've been over the last three years and about the phase of change that we're in now. You know, I, I was always someone that likes to move. I tend to be impatient. I tend to want to get things done quickly. And I've learned in the pandemic, and I'm still that way. I'm, I haven't changed that about me, but how you do it and having a little more patience and a little more grace for each other maybe goes further than kind of pushing yourself harder than you uh, otherwise could. One of the things that I encourage all leaders to look at, especially you know, taking care of large groups of employees, is about their well-being. I think we all came through this feeling like we were vulnerable. We were vulnerable to a physical disease, but it led to vulnerabilities emotionally. It led to vulnerabilities financially. It led to vulnerabilities socially. 
you know, historically, we would have thought that was more the employee's responsibility to take care of those other aspects. At Delta, I don't think that way anymore. We've hired mental and emotional health counselors to help our people work through issues that they may be dealing with. We've got a financial safety net that we've created, a financial well-being program that I'm struck by the fact that the surveys say 50% of all Americans would not have $500 in cash they could lay hands on in time of crisis. That's just an awful, scary place to be. Uh, you're just one step away from a real challenge and how you're going to find that cash. I don't want any of those people to be Delta employees. And so we've created bank accounts for each one of our employees and put $1,000 in each of them to hold as an emergency safety net in case that need ever arises. They'll know it's theirs and their decision to take. But the only thing I ask in turn is that they take a financial literacy course that we offer online and set an appointment with a financial counselor that we offer for free to learn about how to manage maybe their budget or their credit score a little better and get better at it. We offered it the 1st of January. We had over 20,000 people sign up in the first month alone. So if anyone thinks the need's not there, it's there. It's there in abundance. You want your employees more than ever to be their best self, to help drive your business forward, because if they're not their best self, they're not going to be able to take the best care of you, our customer, and then the strength of our brand promise. Delta has created a feature-length documentary about navigating the pandemic. You appear in the film. You're involved in the production. Why did you decide to do a film? Th these podcasts weren't enough for you? <laughs> oh, they, uh, they could have been, I guess. Before the pandemic hit, Delta was a company that went through 9-11. It was a company that had been through bankruptcy, through major recession, political and geopolitical crises, fuel price spikes, you name it. And we survived you know, through all those. And in the years leading up to 2020, I would always speak to our younger employees and let them know this is not an easy industry. It's not always for the faint of heart. So we set out making a documentary pre-pandemic, and I brought my former board members together and people that were around to help us navigate the bankruptcy period and the 9-11 period. So I would memorialize those remarks for all time and show our people what it took to get here and have a newfound appreciation for what we do. Well, lo and behold, we filmed it. And then two weeks later, the pandemic hit. So we put that on ice because there's another chapter to write. And sure enough, the pandemic created a lot of chapters. And so we captured a lot of the footage that, that we went through the last three years. And we've now created a, a documentary called The Steepest Climb to let people know how we navigate and what we had to do. And I've watched it a couple of times and I candidly, I don't enjoy watching it that much because it's painful to have to relive it, but it's helpful. I mean, it has been hard. Are, are you tired? <laughs> Are you tired from all of this? I am not tired. I am excited. Every day when I get up, I, I know my value. And when I look about what we've been through, it's been a real honor to lead this company through the three hardest years of its history. One of the things I've learned from Dr. Henry Ting, our chief wellness officer, is the importance of sleep. And I, I encourage everyone to focus on their sleep. The quality matters even more than the quantity. I may not always get a high quantity of sleep, but I get good quality. And there's this product called Aura, this ring I, I wear at night to sleep to measure that. And I tell you, that more than anything has gotten my head in a good place. I wake up in the morning, know, know that I'm rested and ready to tackle the day because 
you know, when you, when you deal with as many things as I find myself dealing with, I process them overnight. And I think I'm up tossing and turning and wrestling and trying to make decisions in my sleep. Well, it's actually quite therapeutic because it's your REM, it's your kind of your memory consolidation and your mind's finding a way to kind of push through all that stuff. But sleep is a huge underrated part, particularly for busy professionals. Everybody knows to work out and watch what you eat and friends around you giving good advice. Sleep's really, really important. So I often end by asking the guest, what's at stake now? And in 2021, when I asked you that, you said, holding on to everything we've gained during the pandemic, making sure the investments we made translate to the other side. You seem to have succeeded there. So what's at stake from here? For our company not to feel like, well, wow, we made it. We got through. You know, we can kind of start to coast. No, we're just starting again. It's the new Delta. You'll see this company continue to soar because we know our customers want what we provide. They want to travel. The world needs to be brought closer together, not further apart. And we're the means by which the world comes together. We truly are. And that's a noble mission. And this has been great. Thank you for doing this with me again. Bob, it's always fun to talk to you. Well, all I can say is sleep well. Thank you. And now a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business. Throughout the day, text messages and emails kept pouring in. Whatever you need, just let us know. We're back one more time with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was telling us about a Sunday morning email she fired off in a moment of panic. Minutes later, her inbox was overflowing. And the support she found wasn't just emotional, it was practical. We talked about detailed contingency plans and we created our go-to-market strategy. Before we are in full rollout mode, we had stage gates so that we could test and quickly learn and iterate. And within a matter of like six months, as we were rolling things out channel by channel, those stage gates would allow us to pivot if we saw something that we didn't like. That day, Aparna learned a lesson that stayed with her. Having multiple plan Bs doesn't just expand your options. It gives you new opportunities. The best way to pivot is actually open doors for thoughtful conversations because humility in knowing that you actually don't know everything as well as the empathy in knowing that disruption is always drastic and abrupt helps you go through that pivot with other people in a very different way. Capital One Business is proud to support entrepreneurs and leaders working to scale their impact from Fortune 500s to first-time business owners. For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. Master Scale Rapid Response is a Wait What original. I'm Bob Safian, your host and Master of Scale's editor-at-large. Our executive producers are June Cohen, Darren Triff, and Jordan McLeod. Our chief content officer and interim president is Lori Hoffman. Our producers are Chris Gauthier, Mashu Makutonina, Adam Skuse, Catherine Clark Gray, Alex Morris, and Tucker Ligurski. Our music director is Ryan Holiday. Original music by Eduardo Rivera, Ryan Holiday, and Daniel Nissenbaum. Sound design and audio editing by Keith J. Nelson, Stephen Davies, Liam Jenkins, and Andrew Nault. Mixing and mastering by Aaron Bastinelli. Special thanks to Aria Finger, Saida Sapieva, Jodine Dorsey, 
Emily McManus, Adam Heiner, Alfonso Bravo, Colin Howarth, Tim Cronin, Kelsey Capitano, Sammy Aputa, Anna Pizzino, Sarah Tartar, Luisa Velez, Justin Winslow, Nikki Williams, Chineme Ozaquena, Marielle Carricker, and Katie Blazing. Visit mastersofscale.com slash rapid response to find the transcript for this episode and to subscribe to our email newsletter. Become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale courses app. Find out more at mastersofscale.com slash membership.